fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into the program. It is a midweek celebration, the pre-pre-Friday, the post-post-Monday, ready to rock and roll here for another day, the greatest day of the entire week. Why? Because now we're on the downhill slope from here on out, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Welcome into the show. This is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, we love you to death. Thank you so much, your Millennial General, reporting for duty today. No guest today, which I specifically requested because there is so much to talk about that we have not had time for you and I to sit back and have our little one-on-one moment and talk about some of the major issues going on. And with more of it piling up, I figured we needed a day just for you and I to kind of break some of this down as we continue to have more great guests on the show. Nothing against the guests, but we haven't had time. We just need some intimacy just between you and I sitting across the bar, looking at each other, gazing in my watery eyes. So <laughs> I, uh, as we were going on, I was about five minutes away from the top of the hour trying to get everything ready for the show. And I've just had this small dull headache. Not bad. Not bad. Usually I get a headache, I don't know, once or twice a, a week. And uh, I, they lead to somewhat migraines. But I have just a small dull headache that's just been kind of lingering through most of the day today. So I have my handy dandy here, my peppermint oil, which is kind of the holistic way to get rid of headaches. You put some peppermint oil, just a couple drops on your temples, on your head, and it's supposed to relieve the headaches. And it works great. So I always carry some with me because I know how frequent I get headaches. So I have my peppermint oil and I put it on, not even thinking like, all right, that'll be cool. Hopefully I can get rid of my headache here before the program actually starts. Well, of course, having peppermint oil on the temples of your head it burns your eyes and now my eyes are watering and red so if you're watching the video stream no i have not taken advantage of the colorado wildflower i have just in fact done the peppermint oil on my head and now my eyes are watering and burning because of the peppermint oil that is so uh, so strong right next to it so that's what that is everything's okay you don't have to worry about it it's not like joe biden where i have to get steroided up right i mean joe biden you feeling good today how you feeling how you feeling buddy i want to be clear I'm not going nuts. All right, we have a lot to talk about today, and I asked for some of those on the video streams before the program started as we kind of jump on just a minute or two beforehand and and get your thoughts on where we should go today because with no guests, there are about five topics I want to try and cover today and do the best we can on this program. And I asked some of the listeners on what their priority was and what you wanted to talk about today, regard or whether it's the Supreme Court cases that are being heard this week now that they're in a new session, with, and especially with the new gal on there. Uh, we have OPEC that has officially made their decision to cut oil production today, which means gas prices are going to be shooting through the roof. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. We also have flu shots where they say the flu is going to be worse than ever before. And of course, we have some election updates we'll talk about here a little bit later as well. But the priority on what to kick off first, and I think from a few of the comments that I had seen, I think the priorities today are going to start off with the Supreme Court and some of their cases. So let's get into the what's trending of the day. 
What's trending today? What's trending today? So as of right now, there are at least five. There are more cases than this, obviously, but there are at least five major cases, six major cases that the Supreme Court has taken up right out of the gate here to kick off their new session of the U.S. Supreme Court. And now that we have Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the new Supreme Court justice on the board, and they're so excited the media losing their you-know-what over the fact that we have a black female on the U.S. Supreme Court and how record-breaking and how authentic and how cool it is to be able to have a black woman on the Supreme Court, regardless of whatever her stances are, which are crazy, radical, left-wing, progressive junk, they're excited to have her on there. So therefore, that is the most important story that some of the media is covering. But outside of her opinions, which we don't really care about because we still have a conservative majority for the most part on the U.S. Supreme Court right now, there are some major topics that are coming up. And I'm telling you, this is why this election is important, which we talked about a little bit yesterday, but why Democrats are desperate to maintain power because when the Supreme Court rules in the way that we're anticipating them to rule on a lot of these cases, which we'll break down in just a minute, then their response is going to be kind of like what it was with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court needs to be stacked. We need to add more Supreme Court justices. We need to have a Democrat in power in order to put the proper people on the Supreme Court because these yahoos, in their words, these yahoos, these conservative right-wing nutjobs that are bringing us back to original constitutionality, they got to go. And if we just stack the court, then they'll never have a majority again and we'll be able to ride high and defend everything we want to. Then we can say the court has spoken and whatever they say is the law so therefore just get in line and do what the supreme court tells you to do now right now you're not saying that in fact after the reversal of roe v wade we had maxine waters out there saying we need to ignore the u.s supreme court because to hell with them they don't know what they're doing we have joe biden and kamala harris and nancy pelosi and chuck schumer and all the others saying that we need to either stack the court we need to avert the supreme court we need to pass a constitutional amendment which is, by the way, the one and only way that you can subvert the Supreme Court is by passing a constitutional amendment. That's it. (laughs) None of the other options that they came out with, that's all they have. No executive order that Biden has signed on abortion issues is going to supersede the Supreme Court, and they know it, which is why while they say they're passing uh, executive orders, it really was just a whole bunch of hoopla that the Supreme Court didn't even touch in their decision. So what exactly... Is the Supreme Court hearing to kick off their new session with the new makeup with uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson? And it's funny how we can say that one and Corrine Jean-Pierre. Huh? What's with the three-worded names here, man? Come on. But Ketanji Brown-Jackson is now on the Supreme Court, although we still have a conservative-leaning uh, Supreme Court. What's in the big picture? What are we looking at here? There are a few of them, and while the decisions came out at the end of June this year on the reversal of Roe v. Wade, on the kind of putting in the place of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and spending, which is going to be in the not-so-good favor for the Democrats for their uh, student loan forgiveness program, we have another case against the Supreme Court, and this one is going to be another devastating blow that Barack Obama passed under his reign and that Joe Biden has tried to re-implement under his reign already with the, the Clean Water Act and the Waters of the U.S. rule. For those that don't know this bill, It's extremely important for you to understand, especially if you live in any rural communities across the country, if you live in any agricultural land at all, or even if you're trying to uh, rezone certain land for residential purposes. As this lawsuit that's right now sitting up there, Sackett versus the EPA, 
is a family that tried to purchase land, buy a home, get the permits. They started building the permits. Then the rules changed for the waters of the U.S. and the navigable waters. And therefore, they needed EPA permits before the construction when the construction was already completed. So the EPA shut them down, fined them, and now they're taking it to court to try and override this because obviously that's the way the government functions. They don't care about your personal life. It's about them and their priorities and their agenda, which is kind of counterintuitive for the whole government works for me sort of mentality. (laughs) Those that believe that, (laughs) you're hilarious. So the Supreme Court's hearing this case, and it's not only hearing it about the permits, but it also is really making a general decision on the waters of the U.S. rule, where they have said, where, again, Barack Obama passed this originally, and it was reversed under Trump and now re-implemented under the Biden administration, changing the Clean Air or the Clean Water Act to the waters of the U.S. rule, saying that if it rains really, really heavy in your area and you get a very large puddle or a mini pond in your backyard because of the heavy rains, it is now considered navigable waters. Andy, what's navigable waters? Navigable waters really means that it has to be waters where you can put a ship on it and transport things. You could navigate them with a boat or some type of object down the waterways. According to them now, if you get a mini pond in your backyard, and apparently if you can put one of those kids like, paper boats that you used to see in the movies all the time and all the kids used to like fold up instead of a paper airplane they make a paper boat and send it on down the pond if you can do that that's apparently considered a navigable water and is no longer your authority to regulate over and decide what you're going to do with that water but it's now property of the federal government and the environmental protection agency obviously not a very good uh, mindset for the Uh, for the agricultural industry or those with large plots of land across the nation. But that's what the EPA has tried to uh, control. And, of course, the Biden administration has taken this above and beyond with this bill and then the 30 by 30 bill saying they want to consume 30 percent of the land in the nation to be government-owned property so that way it can be national parks and so on and so forth. They want 30 percent of the U.S. land owned by the federal government by the year 2030. Sounds pretty scary. The problem is we're already at like 27 or 28 percent of all land in the U.S. that's already owned by the federal government. So we're close to there already. Another couple issues are election laws, which is why, again, this election is extremely important because this is going to make or break some of the voter fraud that the Democrats have been able to get away with for years. And just because I said that, I'm probably off and booted off of YouTube again. But nonetheless, doesn't matter. Uh, there are two cases, Moore v. Harper and Merrill v. Milligan. So, by the way, according to Axios.com with some of these and some of the breakdowns of these, if you want to read them yourselves as well, the Morvey Harper examined states' powers in federal elections, deciding on what state legislators are allowed to do in making state laws and regulations for their state on how to elect federal issues or federal candidates. I find that fascinating because I thought we were already supposed to do that. The states that make their own laws. Looking through the Constitution, the Constitution really only says that as long as you're a natural citizen, then you have a right to vote. Outside of that, the states make their own prerogatives on setting the level on how to uh, verify yourself to be able to get registered to vote. And oh, by the way, the states, elections are run by the states that the states make up their laws on how they're going to elect their elected officials in their states. So this is another one where they're trying to change that in their push to centralize 
the electoral process. They're trying to still, even though it's been shot down multiple times, still ram through this H.R. 1 that is the election law and centralizing all of it, saying the states do not have the power to make their own election laws, and we're going to decide that for you at the federal level. Don't worry. We're way more efficient if we just centralize everything at the federal government level. We'll make sure... Hint, hint, wink, wink, and a nod to you that will be taking care of you and make sure that things are run efficiently. The other one, Merrill v. Milligan, is another Voting Rights Act as well, where the Supreme Court is going to uh, discuss and look at a lower court's ruling over Alabama on redrawing congressional district maps where they say that was the gerrymandering and redrawing of district lines in the state based on racism in some way, shape, or form. As according to Axios.com, civil rights advocates that are suing Alabama uh, from last November after the state legislature released its map, which has only one single majority black district that includes parts of Birmingham and some other parts of the black belt in Alabama. And they're saying there's racism at play there. They say, quote, while black people are about 27 percent of the Alabama population, they are represented in one in only one of seven or roughly 14 percent congressional districts and they want two districts that are black dominated with the new redrawing of the lines in the state of Alabama. On the flip side, the state says, uh, isn't that like segregation by you guys wanting to split or wanting to congregate the black vote into one district and actually uh, favor one group or the other based on skin color because you guys want to continue redistricting and want to con- continue the division in the United States. So I don't know the details on the population size or how else they could break it up. Not familiar with Alabama politics. We may have to get somebody on the program for there. But a couple of the cases they're looking at, the the gerrymandering, the redistricting after the census, and, of course, voter laws that the federal government wants full control and power over. We'll continue some of these more when we come back here. Lots to get to and cram in here on a midweek celebration here for The Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back in radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. So there's a few other cases. There's some Second Amendment issues. The Supreme Court is going to be taking up some other things as well. Affirmative action on students and campuses, which is kind of an interesting conversation. Again, all of these optimistic about with the decisions coming out of the conservative Supreme Court and the left is going to lose their minds. Imagine, if you will, a party that is so uh, control freaky like, almost like that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you had that's kind of the control freak. They have to know exactly where you're at all the time. You got to check in all the time. You have to listen to what they want all the time and do whatever they want all the time. That's kind of where the Democrat Party is right now. They love to micromanage, they love to dominate, they love to control, and they love to be the crazy narcissist, and that's what they're at. So imagine, if you will, an election where they lose all the majorities, they have no control in Congress, and in the Supreme Court just rolling one of their decisions after another after another back, and they lose everything that they've gained over the last, hopefully, at least like 10, 20 years or something. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, I know it's a pipe jam. I know that we have a long way to go here. But, man, if Republicans actually stood up and did something they said they were going to do, then that would be really cool. We might actually see something productive come out of that one. 
I especially want to pay attention to these election ones, not because of the whole, you know, theory of, you know, the Trump and stolen elections. I mean, we can we can talk about it. I'm still thinking that something's weird there. I'm not saying one way or the other because I don't know and I don't have the information. However, I am saying that I think that there is a concern moving forward, regardless of whether there's quote unquote voter fraud or not, at least there's a conversation to be had about the centralization of the elections because everything is moving towards the federal level. Social programs, tax rates, regulations in the state, environmental policies, everything has been centralized at the federal level. And elections are the next one. And you can see as lack of efficient we're seeing coming out of the federal government already, why in the world would we have the federal government actually handle our election laws at the federal level as well? That is a very big concern for us. And we're moving further and further that way. Are you aware that almost half the states that are needed, which is three-quarters of the states right now, almost half of them have signed on to the National Popular Vote Initiative, meaning they're going to rid you of the Electoral College. No longer will there be an Electoral College, or if you do have an Electoral College, then regardless of how you vote in your state, if your state goes against the popular vote nationwide, the Electoral College is going to ignore your vote in the state and cast the votes for the Electoral College towards the popular vote nationwide. The national popular vote, meaning you could have a candidate that won by the Electoral College if it were done properly, but would lose because, well, the popular vote nationwide says they want this candidate, so therefore we're going to go here. That means every state that doesn't have New York City, L.A., San Diego, um, I can't think of any more that are actually that big like that, that are actually going to make the decisions for the country, they're going to decide it. You guys don't matter. Over half the states that need to pass this initiative have already passed it, and they're working on more and more and more, when in fact, the reality is we really should be moving in the opposite direction. And I'm going to continue to rail on this until I'm blue in the face, and many people may not have even ever heard of this initiative because I'm the only one that's ever talked about it, of bringing an electoral college process to a statewide level. We need to go the opposite direction, not rid ourselves of the electoral college. We need to bring it in to the states because when we started the electoral college, we had relatively similar states, relatively similar populations in each state, and we wanted to build up protections. Now with how big the states have become, with how populated the states have become, with how diverse states have become between large cities and rural communities, now it's time to start many electoral colleges at the statewide levels for anything for governor or attorney general or congressional races or Senate races, anything that's a statewide race, we need to have an electoral college for. Because there are multiple cases of states that, again, one, two, three, four counties of the entire state make up the decision, and another side will never have their voice heard again. It's time to bring it down even lower for the fair and balanced election system that we need to have, but no one's having that conversation. So we're going to do that right here on The Voice of Reason. Lots more coming up right around the corner. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Lots to get to. Moving right on through halfway through the program. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. 
on multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. But I don't plug it enough, but you can always, by the way, find our podcast at The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You got to kind of type it out, The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. There's other Voice of Reason shows out there. But if you're looking for a new podcast and you can't always listen to the radio program live, you can always listen to our podcast. We we upload it on the show every single day online afterwards. You can listen to all of it in its entirety and even more stuff. We put extra content on there as well outside of just what we do on this show. Just find The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier on any podcasting site, Amazon Prime or uh, Spotify or TuneIn or uh, iTunes or Google Play or whatever ones are out there. If it's a podcasting site, we're on it, and you can check us out and subscribe. You can download it every day. You can listen every day. You can pile it up and do what the heck you want to with it. I don't really care, but we appreciate you, and we love you to death. I want to shift gears here. We talked a lot about the Supreme Court, some of the issues, and we'll continue to follow them as they make decisions on these because these are going to be, as Donald Trump says, huge. They're going to be bigly. We're going to win so much that you're going to get tired of winning, right? <laughs> And the Democrats are going to lose their minds. It is totally absurd. I know it's totally absurd. The Democrats don't know what to do with all this. With uh, They haven't had a Supreme Court that is this conservative in a very long time. We thought we were doing well when George Bush put a couple Supreme Court justices on, and then we turned out to not have the most conservative Supreme Court justices. But now we're seeing some big trend setters moving things back in the right direction. So we'll stay uh, focused on those as they happen, but I want to shift gears a bit because I guess this is perfect the way we kind of laid this out with the two next two topics here, that it shows the absolute either lack of forethought from the Democrats or the hypocritical thinking and the lies that they told us or just the massive agenda that they have on the back end that they're trying to fool you with in our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today? I want to start off here. Number one, it is flu season. I've been sneezing up a storm, but I don't think it's the flu. It's been the allergies. I've been outside more the last few days, uh, the last couple of weeks. I've been campaigning with uh, one of our state legislators here in the Kansas area, knocking on doors, talking to people, and it's just been outside, and I've been sneezing like crazy. But it is flu season. People are getting sick, and therefore, because it's time for a bug to be floating around with the changing of seasons, heaven forbid, that happens every single year. <laughs> All of a sudden now, the CDC, along with different health departments all over the nation at different statewide levels, are encouraging individuals to go and get your flu vaccine. Now, if you get your flu vaccine, all the power to you. I don't care. Go do your thing. Go get jabbed up and have some fun with it. I have never gotten a flu vaccine. I never intend to get a flu vaccine. I will never get a flu vaccine. I didn't get a COVID-19 vaccine. And, and again, because of this conversation, we're going to be booted off YouTube again. I've, been, I've got an email almost every day from YouTube when we started streaming again about a month ago on, on YouTube. I got an email just about every day saying, we've removed your content for misinformation. We've removed your content for breaking the policies of YouTube. When I thought they changed those policies. So whatever. Not a reliable source. You have to find our video streaming in other places. Uh, nonetheless, I thought that this conversation of vaccines would be over when COVID-19 was over. We had the conversations about the flu vaccine back in the day and it was, yeah, I get it. Okay, cool. We need it. All right. You know what? And we got to remember, here's how the doctors try to get the flu vaccine out there. They guesstimate on probability on what the strain is going to be for the year, because obviously there's many different strains of the flu, just like there's many different strains of COVID-19. So this whole blanket, we need to get a booster shot. You don't know what's going to be affected because there's the Delta, there's the Omicron, there's the subvariants of the Delta and the Omicron out there. They're all over. And you have to make a vaccine that's specific to them because each one of the makeups of those strains of viruses are different. 
So COVID-19 has turned out to be just like the flu with multiple different strains. So doctors and experts or whoever makes these vaccines, they sit there and they say, all right, we're guessing for the most part on what strain of the flu is going to be the most pertinent one for the year. And that's the one or two or three. And we're going to make the vaccine uh, to try and counter those. And then we mass produce them and injected everybody up into them. And then hopefully we get the right one to where if that is the dominant strain for the year, then we caught it. And if everybody got the vaccine, then they're cool and they can actually avoid getting the flu for the year. And it doesn't always happen. In fact, it very rarely happens that they catch it on the right one. But they're telling us this year, according to the CDC and according to health departments all over, I've been covering the news at our local stations here in the Wichita area. This has been the headline all day today and yesterday was that they're encouraging, number one, they're encouraging those 65 years and older to make sure to really, really, really get your vaccine, your flu vaccine. They're saying not only do you need to get it, we're going to give you a stronger dose of the flu vaccine this year because we're concerned the flu is going to be deadlier and more severe and stronger than it has ever been before. So I ask the very simple question, why? Why is it that the flu this year is going to be more severe than it has in a very long time or that it ever has been before? Why? It's the same flu. It's the same flu strains. It's the same flu viruses that are floating in the air. I've said this before. If you stretch out your hands, and this is not my information. I've heard this from other experts and doctors that actually have degrees on these things. But they've said, stretch out your arms around you and make your own personal bubble. Within that bubble of stretching out your arms and seeing that bubble, that radius around you, there are billions upon billions of viral and bacterial strains within that bubble right now as we speak. Which means our body is set biologically and naturally to live in a biological world with viruses and bacteria that are living around you at all times. So why in the world would the virus be stronger this year than it has in past years? Well, To me, there's only two reasons on why that would be. And that would be the fact that the virus is not actually stronger in itself, unless they fabricated it, which I guess they could have, but it's not stronger itself. It means that we're weaker and can have a harder time handling it. At least in my opinion, the virus, the strains of the flu have been around since the dawn of time. We've always gotten flus. Because it's always been there. It's a virus and it's never going away. So why would it be stronger this year? Not because it's stronger, but because we're weaker. Which begs the question again, why are we weaker? Well, I have two theories on that. One would be we've gone years of COVID-19 protocol, which the, by the way, the CDC and these health departments even admit that because of the COVID-19 protocol that we've had over the last two years with mandated mask wearing, with social distancing, with isolation, with locking ourselves in our house and not going out and exposing ourselves to the elements or being around other people, not having other individuals sneeze upon us. For doing that for two years, we have not been exposed to these things. That's why they were so concerned with the return of school this year and why some uh, some school districts are trying to implement mask mandates for children again because the children, with their wiping of their nose and sneezing all over everything and putting stuff in their mouths and then handing it off to their friends, they spread germs like none other. And the first month of school, the kids get sick and all the parents get sick and all the siblings get sick because they carry everything home after transmitting it at the schools. And guess what? That's a good thing. 
it's a good thing because you get exposed to these things. You get sick, your body automatically knows how to build up an immunity to it, and then you don't get sick like that for the rest of the year, or maybe in the springtime, then you get another round of it. But we haven't done this for two years, and now all of a sudden we're back at it. So now our immune systems have forgotten how to be exposed to these things that we're used to being exposed to. So under their own guidance now of admittance, of social distancing, of mask wearing, of vaccine pushes, of all the stuff that we've been doing for safety protocol for the last two years, the CDC has all but come out and admitted that now your immune system is now weaker than it has been before because you have not been exposed to the things that you were exposed to before. Therefore, the vac- the flu itself is not any stronger. You're just weaker at being able to handle it. The other theory is the fact that with so many people getting the COVID-19 vaccine, that your immune system, again, doesn't know how to build things up naturally. It now relies on a vaccine to actually uh, inject it into your system to teach it how to fight things, which is the concern, by the way, of those mRNA vaccine uh, uh, technology and what Dr. Robert Malone, who we've had on this program once or twice before, that openly said that's what it teaches your body to do. It teaches it how not to naturally build up an immunity by ex- uh, exposing to it in a biological world. But it now depends on a vaccine to be injected into your system to teach it how to build an immune system against a certain virus. So either we screwed ourselves by injecting ourselves with an mRNA technology that now has weakened our immune system and doesn't know how to fight things off naturally, or we did it to ourselves by self-isolating and wearing masks and staying away from everybody for two years straight. Either way, the flu is not any stronger. We're just weaker, and the government has all but come out and admitted that fact, which is why they're saying that the flu is stronger than it's ever been, and they're literally coming out and saying, you need to get the flu vaccine, and those 65 years and older definitely need to get the flu vaccine because you will die if you do not. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Given their, Here's the quote from the CDC website right now, cdc.gov, with their media Uh, press release for directors adopt a preference for specific flu vaccines for seniors. Quote, given their increased risk of flu-associated severe illness, hospitalization, and death, it is important to use their potentially more effective vaccine in people 65 years and older. So, while they want everybody to get one, we're going to give the special dose that's super effective to those 65 years and older. Why would you not just give the same one to everybody? And if you are going to give the same one to everybody, then why does it need to be the super extra, super duper potent one to the 65 years and older? When, by the way, you want to know how many people have died from the flu? In a 10-year span between 2010 and 2020, there were between 12,000 and 50,000 deaths from the flu in a 10-year span. That's between yearly, that would be between 1,000 to 5,000 people a year. Which still is sad, but is it enough to go crazy about and say, hey... You have to get the super duper super strength vaccine for the flu or else you're going to die older people because we don't like because we need to make sure that you're protected (laughs) because we don't like you. So we need to make sure that you're super duper protected with this new vaccine. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes here. It goes by way too fast. Fastest hour of radio on, well, radio. we got a lot to get to here. So 
We've already showed how either the Democrats and the elites or the establishment or the health officials or whoever you want to lump into this category pushing this flu vaccine that pushed the COVID-19 vaccine and pushed the COVID-19 policies either were short-sighted and were really stupid in the long-term thinking of, oh, wow, let's isolate people to protect them from COVID, but now their immune system's too weak to handle the flu, which is why we need to push a super-duper strong flu vaccine for especially those 65 and over because, well, they just can't handle it because they haven't been exposed to it for the last two years. Or they knew what they were doing when they injected everybody with a vaccine, and now your immune system doesn't know how to actually create antibodies on its own naturally against a virus that's in the air in a biological world. One or the other, either they're stupid or they had an agenda to really uh, harm us at the end of the day. Seems like the exact same story that we're getting from the news today regarding OPEC, or sorry, OPEC+. Plus. I don't know what that is. What is OPEC Plus? Is it like the new app of OPEC? What was it? was like CNN and then CNN Plus. That's the app that lasted for like a month that they spent all this money on and then they ended up canceling it because no one actually subscribed to it because, well, CNN kind of stinks. But apparently OPEC Plus, uh, the headline today is that they're officially cutting oil production by 2 million barrels per day, as they say, which, by the way, OPEC Plus is Saudi Arabia and Russia working together to try and jack up oil prices in the market, uh, running a shortage of oil uh, on the global market, and therefore prices are going to go back up. You are happy with it slowly creeping down, at least in some areas of the country. California, you guys are still like up near 6 $7 a gallon, so I feel bad for you guys. Uh, I'm in Kansas. It was up almost at 4 and then it came back down, and we were just starting to peak right at about $3 a gallon again which still isn't good, but at least it was better than what it was, and now it's climbing back up all over again because of this anticipation. Oil on the stock market is just about back up to $90 a barrel, and they want it back up to roughly $120 a barrel, which means the gas prices will go back up to roughly about $4 a gallon. That's the goal because they want to reset the market and start bringing in more of the profit. Now, remember, the same time oil is still being drilled relentlessly in in Russia while no one's buying it. They're just stockpiling it so they can flood the market when all these sanctions are lifted and the conflict is essentially over and then they'll dominate the oil market. All of that being said, the United States now is between a rock and a hard place. Because the Biden administration refuses to drill oil again domestically here. They don't want to drill. In fact, during the hurricane down in Florida, the Biden administration at first did not say, hey, uh, let's go ahead and open up oil rigs in other places like Texas and other places there. They just said, hey, oil companies, don't be greedy and don't raise your gas prices just because you're not allowed to drill in the Florida area right now because of the hurricane. That was the response. Oh, yes. So now we have OPEC that we're dependent on, that we weren't dependent on back in the day, but now we're dependent on again because, I mean, that was the policy of the Biden administration. We're going to go to OPEC. We're not going to drill domestically. We're not going to do this stuff on our own front here. Now that OPEC is raising their prices and cutting off the 2 million barrels a day, this is Karine Jean-Pierre, communications director for the White House earlier today. OPEC's decision uh, to cut production's quotas is short-sighted while the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. If there's a meaningful price impact of OPEC's decision, it will particularly be on low- and middle-income uh, countries. Of course, it's always got to be the victimization there, but she goes on to say that they're part of a cartel, which they are. But if you know that they're a cartel, if you know that they're evil, and if you know that they're going to be the ones dictating and dominating prices of oil in the global market, then why in the world 
just months ago, did you say we need to rely more on OPEC to give us the oil as opposed to us just drilling it naturally here, domestically? Why not? Oh, she goes on. At the president's direction, the Department of Energy will deliver another 10 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to the market next month as part of the historic 180 million barrel release. So the response to the OPEC, drilling less, producing less, and giving us less oil on the global market is not to drill more, but is just to deplete our oil reserves because that's all going to solve the problem. We're just going to release 10 million on top of what we're already releasing, 10 million barrels next month that's somehow going to lower the price here in the United States. Again, just like with the flu vaccine, either you're too stupid to realize what's going on and think long term here, or you have an agenda. And from experience under the Obama administration, who's really pulling the strings behind the Biden administration, I'm thinking in both the flu vaccines and the OPEC and the oil issue, they probably know what's going on and have an agenda on wanting to ruin the U.S. moving forward in the future. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Let's stop these shenanigans. Election season right around the corner. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.